And if you have your Bibles, we're in uh, Jeremiah, the 39th chapter. And uh, we're really coming to the point of this book that um, it's where it gets heartbreaking. And uh, there's been a lot of difficult things that have happened in the book of Jeremiah, whether to Jeremiah or to the people. But this is where it really all um, comes together. And so uh, I've titled this lesson tonight, if you didn't get the notes, I'm trying to do better at this, um, when God sorts all things out. And uh, if you've lived very long or enough, uh, or very long at all, um, you recognize that there are difficult situations in life whether it's in uh, your own family, whether it's at work. Uh, if you deal with other people, there are always going to be misunderstandings. Um, as I told someone the other day that I have a hard time getting along with just me, let alone other people. And so it's so easy in difficult situations to think, um, what's the truth? Was I right? Was I wrong? And truly, the great hope that we have is that God sorts all things out. That God knows all secret things. That God knows the intents of the heart. But when we're talking specifically about judgment, I think it even goes a little deeper because all of us have probably thought at different times in our life, why does God bless this person when they live like the world? Or, or why did this happen to this certain person? And, and I think uh, so many times about things like childhood cancer, and you, and you see things like that, and you just say, I don't understand, you know. And it's, um, but yet we believe that God sorts all things out. And in Jeremiah 39, God is sorting all things out. Um, the city of Jerusalem is under siege. It has had warning after warning. And if you remember the last chapter, Jeremiah warns them again, if you'll just surrender... You'll be taken into captivity, but the city won't be burned. There won't be all this death and destruction, and, and they did not listen. And so, uh, starting out here in verses 1 through 5 tonight, we're going to see that no one avoids answering to God. No one avoids answering to God. And so it starts here in verse 1 and says, In the ninth year... Of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, Nergal, Sherezer, Samgar, Nebo, Sarkamim, Rabsaris, Nergal, Sarizar, Rabmag, Jeesh, with the rest of the princes of the king of Babylon. So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, that they fled and went out of the city by night by the way of the king's garden by the gate between the two walls, and he went out by the way of the plain. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to, the, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment 
on him. Now, I don't know if you know that, but those five verses could have been summed up like this. Zedekiah snuck out and the Babylonians caught him. That's, that could have all been summed up in one simple statement. But I do not... Yes. But I believe that there are no accidents and the significance of names and dates in the Bible matter. And when we think about this idea that no one avoids answering to God, I want you just to look at this with me. He gets specific in the amount of time that has been going on, what has been happening. And then he goes to verse 2 and he gets so specific that he names not only the year, he names the month, and he names the specific day that all this happens, that the nation, the city falls. Why do you think that is? Because this is a day that they will always be able to look back on when you look forward in the history of the Jewish people as the day that God brought judgment on them. And if you've ever heard the New Testament, it tells us very clearly that all of us will on one day stand before the Lord, won't we? Right? Some of us at the great white throne judgment and others at... I can't hear you. You have to speak up. Huh? So the lost will stand in judgment and Christians as for our rewards, right? Not for judgment of our salvation. But yet it is appointed unto man what? Once to die and then judgment. And so we see here this idea that it matters and that there is a day when the city fell. Um, if you've ever studied the history of the Roman Empire, and I am not a historian, I've never taught history, but um, you will see that they, when they label the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, it's usually approximately, right? Because some people view it as the sacking of Rome, and some people view when this happened, but there's not a specific date that they say this was the battle that ruined the entire uh, Western Roman Empire. Now, if you study history in the Eastern Roman Empire, you can study when Constantinople was uh, saw, uh, attacked and, and when the Turks took it and all those things. But I think it is important here in this purpose because God has given them this. They record the specific day and there is no mistaking that this is the day that Jerusalem fell. This is the day that the judgment of God made them answer for their sins. And when I think about this from a standpoint of a lost person, I cannot imagine what that day is going to be like. I can't imagine what it is going to be like to stand before a holy and perfect God and have nothing to stand on, nothing to argue about, to know that you're guilty, to know that He is holy, to know that He is perfect and have no hope. And I can promise you that as they watched the enemy armies march through the gate, through the walls, hope was gone. And you see that here because they fled. They didn't stay and fight. They didn't try to make a last stand. They didn't try to do anything. They fled. And so they knew that it was hopeless. And so right there in verse 4, that's where I want to just spend a moment. So it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war 
This doesn't say women and children. It, it doesn't say they were sneaking the women and children out the back trying to get them away. No, they, the men who should have stood and fought and died to protect this city, uh, didn't. Um, you probably remember the nation of Israel doing something very similar to this in the book of 1 Samuel, right? The men of war were not willing to do what? Fight, right? They were hiding, they were cowering. And it says that they fled and went out of the city by night, by way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls. And he went out by the way of the plains. Why doesn't it just say he fled? Because I think it's specific here. He's telling them the exact way, the exact uh, place, the plan that this was thought out of, that they had thought they could get away. But yet no matter what you and I think, all of us will answer to God one day. The Bible says we will give an account for what? Everything done in the body, right? But not only that, for every idle word. What else was it, Dave? Idle word. And so as a Christian, I'm thankful that my sin is covered. I am thankful that when I stand before God, that I am forgiven, I am saved by grace, and so that my sin... Jesus has already paid the price. But just imagine for a moment, and I know that you are sanctified, spiritual, godly people, but just imagine in one day how many sins you and I commit and what that would be like to have to stand before God and listen to Him declare me guilty for each and every of them. But we see here that no one avoids answering to God. It goes on in verse 5, But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where they, he pronounced judgment on him. And we've talked about why this would be so terrifying to him, because Nebuchadnezzar is the one that did what? Put him on the throne, right? He appointed him there. He was supposed to be loyal. He was supposed to be trustworthy. And he wasn't. And so tonight I really want you to think about this in your life and in mine that no one avoids answering to God. And as a Christian, I'm thankful that Jesus has taken that punishment that I deserve. But to think about those that don't know God, to think of those who in our own family make excuses. You've probably talked to someone that has said, right, I've, I'll tell God what I think when I get to heaven or, or I'm not worried about my life. I'm a pretty good person. And, but if God lists the specifics uh, down to the day, if He lists the specifics of every one of these foreign kings, if He lists the very specifics of which way Zedekiah went and at what time he left and what was his path, that God takes holding us accountable seriously. And so tonight I really want you to see this, that no one avoids answering to God. Whether it was Israel, whether it is us, no one avoids answering to God. Second thing I want to show you tonight. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know that all of human races under the curse of sin, but I don't know if you ever noticed this, that all of those consequences aren't the same always for each and every one of us, right? 
right? Many people are, are given their parents to their 90s, and other people lose their parents when they're 11, right? And so the consequences of sin, we all know that it's death for us, but yet those specific consequences play out differently so many times. How a family can go uh, and have no cancer, but yet one family has cancer each generation. And so those curses and the consequences of that play out very specifically and differently, but yet it all is, like Dave said, tracked back to one simple thing, the fact that we rebelled in the garden. Um, the second thing I want to show you tonight is, is that God's judgment should never be taken lightly. God's judgment should never be taken lightly. It starts there in verse 6, and we'll read to verse 10. And this is one of the most heartbreaking passages of Scripture, I think, in all of the Word of God. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with brawn fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, Radan, however you want to pronounce it, it's probably wrong too, the captain of the guard carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, Radan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. You see, God's judgment should never be taken lightly. Look at this here. He, he tells them that Nebuchadnezzar literally murders his children in front of him. Murders the nobles, the friends, the people he had fought with, he had grown up with, all before him. And then does what? Plucks out his eyes. The last thing he would have saw would have been the people that he loved dying. You see, God's judgment is something that we have forgotten in the church today. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to reference Him. We don't want to view it. And if you were here Sunday night, I preached on the judgment of God as well. And so I won't repeat all of that again. But this idea that God does punish sin. And we, we live in a culture where sin is mocked. If you watch a television show, there is no sin that is not mocked. I was watching this week, uh, it was about 1 o'clock, I was here on um, uh, Monday night or Tuesday night, I can't remember, Monday night I think it was, and I was watching the gospel roast of a famous uh, southern gospel bass singer. And as they were roasting him, this is supposed to be a Christian roast, not the Dean Martin comedy roast, but uh, a Christian roast, right? They were making references to this gospel music's addiction to alcohol when he would sing in a church and then get drunk for the next two days. About how he would sing and yet chase women on the side. And this panel of people were laughing like it was no big deal. And the longer that I watched it, the angrier that I got. 
and it would go on and talk about different things, and, and they were joking about how the bass singer from the Oak Ridge Boys, you know, and all this stuff, and, and it was just wicked. <laughs> and I thought in my mind, does God's people not care about the judgment of God? And if you're here tonight as a Christian, we would call it the correction of God. And you say, I'm thankful that God doesn't judge in the New Testament like He does in the Old Testament. If you've ever read the book of Acts, there was a couple who lied to the Holy Spirit about a piece of property and what they had given. And, and um, this is where we're going to have a little discussion tonight, so it could get, get, go way off the rails. But anyway, um, and, and God did what on the spot? And so how do you feel that God corrects His children as new covenant believers. Conviction, we would say, right? That's how God starts the process. But have you ever read in the 1 Corinthians 11 about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? What are the two fallouts of that? Judgment upon yourself, and it looks in two ways. What does it say there, specifically? Sickness and death. You don't get a lot of rousing sermons when you preach on that topic. I, you all look at me like a calf in a new gate. But yet, Jamie's probably said it every Sunday we've ever taken the Lord's Supper. If there's anything in your life that would you like to pray about before you take this element, this act of worship that could bring sickness or death into your family, you would think altars full of people, right? Yeah, because we're all sinners, right? Crickets. So I even think that we as God's people have moved away from the belief that God is going to correct us. Or even if we don't forgive others, we can't be what? And so tonight I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to seem cruel or that, that God is not loving and merciful and forgiving, but how does God correct His people today? Because that's what you hear, right? It's not the same God as the Old Testament or the New Testament, right? The New Testament's all love and mercy and grace and compassion and God doesn't hate anything and, and, you know. But yet, if God corrects His people, how does He correct us? But I think it's a holiness and a love thing because, right, it says, whom the Lord loves, He... And so, so what, are you, what are you thought? I mean, have you ever had someone walked up and say, how does God correct you when you get into sin? Because all of us are like, well, I don't get corrected, right? I'm not in sin. But how does God correct you? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all of us always respond immediately, right? It, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, though, because that's where it starts, right? But, but do you feel that God could still bring sickness into someone's life if they don't repent? And do you believe that God would even take a Christian home? And I've, I've been here long enough now that you've heard all my stories, right? Uh, I wouldn't preach last night and the same stories that all them people laughed and chuckled at. Gary's looking at me like, I've heard that 37 times this year alone. But um, I really do believe that's what happened to my brother. The very week that he died on Monday, we had a long conversation about the gospel, about the fact that he believed that he was saved, that he had repented of his sins, but that that, that God was wrong on homosexuality and he was wrong about all these other things and it was wrong to build big church buildings. And it was just, it was just a, a rebellious spirit of, of, of just what happens a lot of times. And, and we talked about that's a dangerous place to believe that God is Lord and Savior of your life, but he makes mistakes. 
and uh, uh, two days later, um, uh, he was gone. And uh, I believe my brother was saved because of that conversation. But I, I believe that there are times when God says enough's enough. And uh, I've had that conversation with my parents, and and um, and I, I believe that. And I don't know that because I'm not God, first and foremost. Um, but I, I believe it happens. And, um, you know... That's a scary thing to say, right? Uh, I don't want that for my children. I don't want them to rebel from the Lord and run from God. But I believe before God would allow you to lose your salvation, that he would take you home to preserve your salvation. And um, uh, that's a pretty radical view for some people. But I think it is exactly what 1 Corinthians 11 says. Um, about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Paul is not writing that to lost people taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, is he? Because, you know, it doesn't matter how a lost person takes the Lord's Supper, they're lost. And so, is it got consequences? I'm sure, but he's talking to the saved there. And so, um, thoughts. I, I mean, I really want us to have this conversation tonight because there's so many different thoughts about the judgment and correction of God and We've just abandoned it in the church today. And you can disagree with me, and I will still love you, just so you know. So could we even say not just individually, but as a corporately, God can remove his blessing, can he? And it's just a dead church. And if you've ever been to a church at all, you've been in dead churches, right? It's just like, holy moly. And I don't mean that the singing's not as lively as the Pentecost church wants, as I mean that it's just like there's something not right here. It's a divisive church. It's a, so the fruit of the Spirit, we know what those are, and those should be evident in a church, right? There's no forgiveness. There's no joy. There's uh, no long-suffering, and, and there's no one being saved, and there's no, one, uh, no, no newness at all. And, and my uh, predecessor, Brother John, always used to say that the Dead Sea is dead because it doesn't have an exit, right? Um, all the water just goes there and stays, and that's how most churches are, right? The same people come, and no one ever leaves, and they get sour, and they, they get stagnant, and there's no new life, and, and there has to be in and out in a church, good and bad, for that to stay active and healthy, because all of us have the potential to do what? Quench the Spirit. And... Um, and so would you rather have someone that stays in your church for 50 years because you love them? Or if they are quenching the spirit and not willing to repent, that God would move them on? That's a scary thought to think about, isn't it? And so, um, yeah, most of us don't take care of our physical health until the doctor says, if you don't change something, you're going to what? Die, right? Uh, but as long as it's not going to kill you, eh, right? That's how most of us are. I don't mind to shave a year or two off when I'm 97, right? But if he says, if you don't stop smoking now, that's when people say, oh, right? If you don't do something about your eating habits and sugar now, and that's many times in our view of God, it's, there's never a now, right? There's always a tomorrow. There's always a, it's not going to happen here. And so sometimes I think the uh, correction and judgment of God is seen in generational sin. Right, you've seen it. A, a husband and a, a mother, a father is pattern the um, lifestyle of stepping out on a, a mother, and you see the next generation. It's the same pattern, and it's the next generation. It's the same pattern, and and many times I think you are seeing a 
reaping of what has been sown. And so I think it's just, I just really wanted to get your opinions tonight on, on do we take God's judgment lightly and God's correction lightly? Yeah, absolutely. So thankfully the eternal consequences of sin are gone for the Christian, but the temporary consequences of sin are, are not, right? I, I wish that when God saved me, I could have ate as much as anything as I wanted and never become an overweight, unhealthy person, right? I could go through and eat 37 fish sandwiches and nothing would have happened. But that's not the way it is, isn't it? There are consequences temporarily. Same way about what we watch. Have you ever watched something on television and it said a word that you would never say. And the next time you get in a situation in your mind, when it comes up in your mind, you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Right? It was something that I put in, and it wants to come out. And so I just really wanted you to stop tonight and think about that because Zedekiah thought that he could not only not answer for his sin, but that it was not going to be bad, but yet it was. Now we're going to get a little more positive, hopefully, tonight, since you're all looking at me like, boy, you sucked the life out of this Bible study. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, suck the life out of Bible study. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I never got a slapping that was happy either, though. <laughs> got a lot of slappings in my life, though. But in verses 11 through 18, we see that God doesn't forget His people. God doesn't forget His people. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the... I'm going to call him Big N from now on, saying, Take him and look after him and do him no harm, but do to him just as he says to you. So Big N, the captain of the guard, sent... Oh, I can't come up with nicknames for all these, so we'll just read them. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Rabsaris, Nurgle, Sherezer, Rabmag, and the king, all the king of Babylon's chief officers. Then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and commit him to Gelial, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. But there's what I want you to listen. Meanwhile, the Lord, word of the Lord came, had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of prison, saying, Go and speak to Adeb-Melech the Ethiopian. Stop right there. Does anybody remember what Adeb-Melech the Ethiopian had done? In the pits. So he was a faithful, obedient to the things of God, right? And so listen to what it says. Saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord. And you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. You see, God did not forget this faithful servant's 
obedient. And God does not forget His people. I think it is easy sometimes as we watch our nation collapse from the foundation that how is it possible to see God at work and move in total chaos in the judgment of God. But what we see here yet is that God can work and move individually in your life and in your family even if everything else is falling apart around you. And I think that is something we forget sometimes. We try to think of ourselves as collectively, but you are in an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And God can work and move in your life in ways that it doesn't make sense to the circumstances that are around you. I want to give you a couple of examples. Right? It is possible to have joy in the worst of circumstances. Right? Because joy does not depend on the happenings around us, but it comes from the it comes from the Lord, right? The Spirit of God living within us. How about peace, right? It is possible to have peace in the most turbulent of circumstances. It is possible to grow and to understand and to be closer to God in the difficult moments than even sometimes in the blessings. Why? Because God is able to work and move in the lives of His people regardless of what is going on. I've heard people say that a hundred times in my ministry or more, right? I will get right with God when the, my life is in, is in order, right? When we're not so busy. We don't have so many health trials. We don't have so much trouble at work or all of these things. And what God says is, I can bless you and deliver you and be with you specifically even if the entire city, the entire nation that you live in is being destroyed. I think it's sometimes that way. I, uh, I don't do a lot of counseling. And the reason is, is I'm terrible at it, okay? I am not emotionally very good with people. And so, if you're doing something dumb, I'm going to tell you. If you don't want your wife to be mad at you, don't be dumb. I don't care why you're being dumb, just don't be dumb. Simple concept. She doesn't want you to be gone every single day, playing golf, fishing, hunting, whatever it is. Just don't do it. Just spend time with her. You spend enough time with her, she'll be paying for you to go do those things. And um, <laughs> it's just the way I just, you know, that's... But that's not the counseling expertise that they give you. And so, <laughs> everybody in here is going, I agree with that. <laughs> but that's why if you go into the lobby, there is a, a card that says the Pathways Counseling Services. And, and that is much better for you than what I can do. I try to do the best that I can. I just, I, I struggle in that area. No pastor can be perfect. And so for me, I've got two major weaknesses, all right? And you say, you've got lots of weaknesses. Yes, I know that. But two, one is administration. Being the supervisor of employees, if I would have known that when I started, I'd have done something else, all right? Not that they're bad employees, but how do you go to church with people or friends with people and then try to be their boss? It, it's no fun, all right? Two, and I like all of our employees. And so a few weeks ago when I said that God's co-workers are difficult, I was talking about all of you, by the way, right? Not just the, the, the select few. And two, counseling. It is something I struggle with, I struggle with, I struggle with because growing up, my family is not very emotional, right? You, you don't see a lot of hugging and love yous and 
But you know what? If it's 4 a.m. and you're in a ditch, they'll be there to pull you out, right? And uh, that's just kind of how my family was raised. And so when people are very emotional and they want to talk about their emotions and feelings, and, and I'm just like, oh, right? I, I didn't hug anybody until Chris Houghton didn't give me a choice. And so, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'd been married two years. And so, but anyway... Uh, that's just it's just the way it is, and my wife has to tell me on a regular basis, make sure that you tell the girls you love them and you hug them, and, and I know it's important, but emotions to me are something I struggle with, and someone said I got the emotional range of a teacup, and I understand that, but that's just a struggle that I have, those two areas, along with many, many others. But God doesn't forget His people, and tonight I really want you to know that because so many times... You say, well, I thought you were going to talk about God delivering Jeremiah. We are. But we're talking about someone that was faithful to Jeremiah, the prophet of God, and that's how God worked. Thoughts before we quickly run to the end. All right, you'll have lots of chance to talk afterwards. But in the first six verses of chapter 40, and that's where we'll start tonight, stop tonight, God will vindicate... His servant. God will vindicate His servant. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Big N, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, Don't miss this. The Lord your God has pronounced doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it. Even He recognized that God was involved and has just at, done just as He said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed His voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. And now look, I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you, wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Now while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebez Aradan said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Achim, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gelial, the son of Achim, to Mizpah, and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. At this point, Jeremiah is told by this guard, you're free to go. Not only am I going to take the shackles off of your hand, you're welcome to come and live with me, and I will protect and provide for you. You're free to not only be without your change, but I'm going to give you what you need, and what is the second part of that? Rations are what you need and a, a gift and let him go. And so not only did God deliver Jeremiah, 
God gave him what he needed. And God not only gave him what he needed, he blessed him with a gift. And all this time, Jeremiah has preached and preached and preached and preached and been beat and humiliated and mocked and, and all of this stuff. And you've got to be thinking at this point, he's thinking, I was right. This guy even recognized And God vindicates Jeremiah. But did you hear what he said? You can go back and live with a guy that's just been appointed to rule over this land. If Jeremiah thinking, I ain't going back. I just did that with the last guy. I don't want no part of that. But do you see this freedom that God bestows upon Jeremiah in a city that is being burnt to the ground? And if you've ever looked at any artwork that depicts the destruction of the first temple and, and the marching away of the Jewish people, it's very powerful art. And I'm not sure if you're into art or not. I'm not really am, but I, I looked at this for this story. But in a, a, not only a city that was ruined, but a nation that was been destroyed. He says, here you go. That's like, uh, <laughs> that's like kind of being told you can have free reign to do whatever you want in Dale. It's like, yeah, big metropolitan thriving city, you know. <laughs> Nothing against Dale, just teasing you, right? That's like saying you can be in charge of Chicago or Minnesota or Minneapolis or some other liberal city that's burning itself to the ground, right? But I don't want you to miss this. After all Jeremiah had been through, God was truth. And Jeremiah was vindicated, not because he did it his way, not because he was the most flashy or the most successful, but because he was faithful. He was faithful to the end. You say, well, Jake, it, it always works out that way. No, it doesn't always work out that way on this earth. There were numerous prophets that were faithful to the end, and church history and Jewish history says that they did not survive like this. Some scholars believe that Isaiah was what? Sawed in half. Right? Think about the apostles. Outside of John... It is believed that all the apostles died martyrs. Think about Stephen. He didn't do anything wrong, but yet he was stoned. Think about the apostle Paul. He was faithful to the end, and he was beaten, tortured, shipwrecked, snake-bitten. And so sometimes God doesn't vindicate us till we get there. And we have to be okay with that. Because if you live your life trying to find vindication from people... You'll never find it. But how many of you want all of your false accusations against you to be vindicated when you get to heaven or you want to be vindicated now? I'm a now kind of person, right? Amen. Absolutely. I want to stroll through town and be like, I told you so. I'm married. I've never done it yet, but I'm looking forward to the day. Well, I have done it, but it didn't work out very well for me. But um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I've never... Yeah. <laughs> but all of us at some point in our life have said someone had someone say something about us that wasn't true. Whether it was in junior high or whether it was in 
high school or as an adult or in church. And everything in it says, I want to be vindicated. I know what happened. I know what was right. But I want to leave you with this one confident thing. God will vindicate His servants. And if God knows the truth, that's enough. If God knows what is right, that is enough. And so uh, I really want you to see that tonight because I think it's significant that when Jeremiah was in the ministry, when he was serving God, and, and he doesn't quit by any means, he didn't have anything, right? They took everything from him. Took his dignity, took his freedom. Uh, that's what they said about being him in the, the pit was that he would starve. And so he went from having no freedom, no food, no hope, to God saying, you can have your freedom, you can have what you need, and you can even have more. And that's how it is as a Christian, right? We are slaves to our sin before we know the Lord, right? We are captives to our sin and the judgment that comes. When I got saved, God gave me freedom, right? Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom or liberty, right? Not only did I get set free, I got everything that I need through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, right? Everything. And not only that, I have been given so much more than I deserve. And so tonight I want you to think about this in the same way that God will vindicate His servant. God doesn't forget His people. God's judgment should never be taken lightly. And no one avoids answering to God.